We Americans are quite a productive, enterprising, ingenuitive lot. We like to invent, we like to streamline, we like to mass produce things, make things profitable, make as much of it as we can, sell as much of it as we can, do as much as we can, eat as much as we can. Uh, Everything Americans do, we do on a big scale, right? We do it fast and we do it strong and we do it a lot. Yeah, we like freedom. We like lots of choices. Look at the menu on any of the coffee stands around town and you will see we like choices. Uh, We don't want to go and find out they only sell three kinds of coffee and I want 87 things to choose from. We like to add value to products like nobody else. We make everything big, our pro sports and our Costco and our music concerts and our monster trucks. Everything is big. We know how to make it efficient and fast and sell a lot of it. Productivity is our national anthem. Microwaves and traffic and airlines and school systems and fast food and news feeds and health care. Get them in and get them out. File them through the cattle chute. It's kind of like what going to the hospital is, isn't it? It's, we're efficient, we're fast, sound bites, clickbait, loud, big, loud, attention-grabbing, adrenaline rush, go, 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 do, 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 quick, quick, quick. Is that not America? Yes, it is. But in our productivity, in our rush to get everything and buy everything and eat everything and make everything, we take the substance out of things and we make it as meaningless and flavorless as possible to attract the most number of people. So we take Mexican food and we turn it into Taco Bell. I'm not sure that a Mexican would recognize Taco Bell. I I don't know, but we call it Mexican food, but I'm sure it's not. You know, it just gets dumbed down to some sort of mass-produced something. Um, Beer gets dumbed down to something known as Keystone Light that I'm not sure that the Germans would recognize. (laughs) Food gets defined down, even just what food is. And something can be called food even though it came out of a factory in a plastic bag as opposed to it came out of the ocean or off of a tree. Um, We just undefine these things until they're flavorless and have no value and no nutrition, and we just sell a lot of it. You know, where water is more expensive than sugar drinks, and fruit and vegetables are more expensive than processed foods. You know, the rest of the world does dining. We do all-you-can-eat buffet. America. Yeah, America. Our meals are just something to rush through so we can get on to the next thing. and We just undefine all these things and take all the meaning and substance and value out of them. Sex has been made so meaningless and removed all the holiness that it's just a casual hookup. And weddings last 15 minutes, if that. The party lasts for hours, but the wedding ceremony is really short. And just everything gets dumbed down or defined down or has all the substance sucked out of it. You know, pop music becomes more vacuous by the year. Movies just become faster action, less plot, no character development, lots of propaganda. Think Force Awakens. Uh, portraits have become selfies. Novels have become tweets. Journalism has become clickbait. You know, everything is just reduced down to the shortest, most meaningless, most undefined thing possible. And even our national morality is reduced to hashtags and ribbons. Now, I wear a red ribbon or I wear a pink ribbon or I put out a blue pinwheel and, and it's meaningless. 
That does absolutely nothing to stop anything. It's, it's complete, substanceless, meaningless. The marches and the protests and the candles, and it's all posing, virtue signaling. It's just hashtags. And we identify a problem, and so we're all very quick to trip over ourselves to say, oh, I am against that, but then we don't do anything to solve the problem. We are a substanceless culture as we move fast and make a lot and have a lot and then we come to the american christians church is just another one of the activities on our to-do list we got to got to get up get going quick let's do this we got a busy afternoon today now it's real quiet Hmm. yeah we arrive stressed and tired from a week without god When you get to church, the music is loud and big, and if you're at a big church, you're going to get some lasers and some smoke with that, too. The sermon is efficient and practical. Five strategies for fulfilling marriage. Three responses to your atheist friends. Seven creative ideas for better devotionals. How to discover your calling. How to find peace in your busy life. Doctrines? Well, no, most people don't care about those, but there's a bullet list on our website if you would like to read that. It's just there to prove that we're an Orthodox church, really, that's all. Come and be entertained, encouraged, inspired, thrilled, excited, revived. The American church has created customers rather than congregants. Voters rather than followers. Activists rather than disciples. American Christians are much more attracted to revival than faithfulness. To a cause or a mission than discipleship. The problems can be more pronounced in a bigger church in an urban area where There's less fellowship in the congregation. Smaller churches maybe can avoid some of these problems where people know each other and there's actual real fellowship. But but I see even in my online sermons, I post them during the week, usually I get a certain number of plays in the first week, you know, 20 or 25 plays on SoundCloud. If my sermon is telling you how to live your Christian life better. But if my sermon is about Jesus, like last week, my sermon title is Jesus is the Greatest Champion Ever, I got three clicks. I don't need to know about Jesus. I need to know how to live my life successfully. Hello? That's the attitude, is that church is to equip me, to make me feel better, to help me be a successful parent, to help me be a good Christian. So basically everything John Christ makes fun of us for is totally true. There's a reason why he's virally popular. If you don't know who John Christ is, go to YouTube and find him. And there's some hilarious stuff. It's very healthy for us to laugh at our dysfunctions because we need to know that they're there. I don't know who originally coined the phrase because it's been reused so many times, but, but pastors and authors and Christian leaders recognize this problem. Somebody wrote... Really, American Protestant evangelical Christianity is, is so unrecognizable from what's in the Bible that really we shouldn't call it Christianity. It's really therapeutic moral deism. Therapeutic meaning in the sense that we go to church so that we feel better and moral in the sense that I want to be a good person and I, want, I really do want to know what's right and wrong. But deism in the sense that deism is the belief that God is there but we can't really know him. And for all intents and purposes, in practical life, not very many Christians interact with God in a two-way conversation during the week. It's not real common. It's 
therapeutic moral deism. 2 Timothy 3, 4, and 5 says, These people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. The American culture takes the substance and the meaning out of everything to make it faster, bigger, more productive, more profitable, more entertaining, more efficient, more convenient, more useful. And I suggest that maybe we've done that with the church too. Uh, I read a blog years ago by a Hindu Indian yoga practitioner who was ranting about American gym yoga classes. And he said, those stupid Americans, they're using yoga for fitness. Yoga is all about chakra and Hinduism and spirit. And they have reduced it down to personal fitness and it's meaningless. And we've done the same thing with Christianity. Many people come to church just to feel good rather than to actually worship. Christianity is presented as a product that will improve your life, and it's my job to sell you that product, to convince you to do it. It's therapeutic moral deism. The problem is pronounced enough that Craig Rochelle, who's a a pastor in the U.S., wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. It's about churchgoers who claim to believe in God but live like he isn't there. The scripture is, with their mouths they honor me, but with their hearts they're far from me. I'm not at all talking about hypocrites. We know there are plenty of those, people who claim to be a Christian, but they have some secret sin life. A Christian atheist, I'm not talking about that at all. It's people who are genuinely good people who think they're Christians, but they, in all practicality, you're an atheist because you're not interacting with God. I, I think I believe there's a God, but I don't do anything to live my life like he's really there. It's just some imaginary thing we call faith. Christianity has been defined down until it means going to church and being a good person. If that surprises you, you're who I'm talking to this morning. Christianity is not going to church and being a good person. These, these Christian atheists, they want real moral religious truth but they don't have spiritual interaction. Romans 8, 5-9 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity toward God, or hatred is another translation of that word, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Those in the flesh cannot please God. I started a year ago our sermon, uh, series on faith with the scripture, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And my entire motivation and everything that I've talked to you about and taught you in the last uh, year since since the end of May, I guess, of last year, is, is how do we please God? How do we make God smile? How do, we, how do we qualify for the rewards that Jesus is so excited about giving? And I don't know if you have to go back there and remember that as we went, but here's another verse where Paul says, those in the flesh cannot please God, but those who live in the Spirit please God and make God smile. John 4, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is. 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Most Orthodox, American, Evangelical, Protestant Christians got the worship in truth down. Got that nailed down. But the worship in spirit part is pretty rare. I want to talk to you this morning and for most of the rest of this year about being a spiritual person. And I don't mean religious, I mean spirits. I mean your spirit, your heart, the Holy Spirit of God interacting with God. Jesus requires a spiritual faith, not a hashtag religion. Actual followers, not Twitter followers. A spiritual Christianity, not a I wear a cross like I wear a red ribbon Christianity. Jesus requires that his disciples actually worship in spirit, which means interacting with him. Not only attend church and be moral. A truly spiritual faith, not a straw man faith, not an activist faith, not a pretend or a hypocrite faith, or even a hurried another activity in my week kind of faith. Nothing about Jesus is efficient or quick. Maybe you've figured that out by now. This is the man who said 2,000 years ago, I'll be right back. There's nothing about Jesus is quick or efficient. A relationship with God is not about productivity or practicality. God is very un-American. Not that America is bad, it's just every culture has sins, and that's one of ours. A relationship with God is not about productivity, and it is not at all practical. Christianity is not for your fitness or your entertainment. Faith is slow. It is mysterious. It is frustrating at times. It is scary. It is a serious commitment. It is treacherous, and it is patient. Faith is meditation and prayer and fasting and solitude and the still small voice and worship and adoration and ritual and tradition and self-discipline. Faith is slow. Did I mention that? Faith is slow. It is contrary to everything that defines the world's ways. Most of all, Christian faith is spiritual. In the same way that America drains, our American culture drains the meaning out of what we do so that we can do it bigger and more and faster. That culture causes American Christians to take the meaning and the depth and life out of our Christianity. We have a form of godliness, but we've lost some power. Christianity is supposed to be Mary's listening, not Martha's busyness. Supposed to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him, talk with him, learn from him, Jesus didn't say that Martha was doing anything wrong. He just said, Mary's chosen better. Martha was all up serving and doing and busybodying. And Jesus said, it's better to sit here and listen to me. Christianity is supposed to be interaction with God, oneness with Jesus, communion with the Holy Spirit, not religious activities or social justice crusades or self-improvement moralism or we're not a charity Church is not an inspiring pep talk or an evangelism factory. Church should be a fine dining feast, but we've just been zipping through the Taco Bell drive through We're supposed to be making love, but we've settled for quick hookups. You can be, we can be, the church can be good people doing good things. 
and lose the meaning and purpose of our activity and our serving. We can totally miss the core substance of what it is we're supposed to be doing, which is spiritual interaction with Jesus. In Revelation 2, the first church that Jesus talks to, he tells them, I see everything you're doing, I see everything you're suffering, your doctrine is right, you know who the false teachers are, everything you're doing is correct, but I am just about done with you because you have left your first love. You're not, you're not in communion with me. Everything you're doing is correct, but you've missed the center of it all. You've missed the meaning of it all. So this morning, as a church, we're going to begin focusing on practicing a spiritual faith, having spiritual Christianity, not just religious Christianity, having a spiritual worldview. A year ago in May, I began to talk about faith, and except for some seasonal things, I've been talking about faith for a year. And on my list... A year ago this month, I went up to Redbridge Park and I, and I fasted and I prayed and I made this whole list of stuff about faith that the Spirit was telling me to talk to you all about. And as I told you, that list changed and added to and deleted and it changed a lot over the last year. But there's still a whole bunch of things on that list that I haven't been able to get to and the Spirit wouldn't let me go there and do the I want to talk about faith for healings and faith for deliverance and faith for miracles and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and and the Lord kind of just cleaned up the rest of the list but he left all this stuff here and then he then I began to realize oh that's all related aha and so so uh, a month or so ago or two probably a couple months ago I realized that um, we're shifting into second gear here that we're, we're, it's still all about faith, because faith is believing what you can't see. But we're, we're supposed to intentionally focus on being a spiritual people and not just a church-attending people or a religious people or a moral people, but to actually interact in the Spirit. And so we're still going to talk about healings and miracles and tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and all of that. But it's going to come a little bit little different language than, than the faith series that I've been doing because faith is specifically to be sure of what we cannot see. So there's faith that the spirit world is there. What Jesus called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is truly real. It's present and it's interacting with you and your heart and your life. So what I hope to do is open your eyes to spiritual reality that's there all the time. But uh, we can get so busy or so skeptical or hard-hearted that we miss out. So we're going to talk about the spirit world, heaven and hell and angels and demons. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be holy? What is communion about? Why, why do we do it? What, what is the power of that? The rituals and symbols of our faith, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues. What is it and why and what good is it? Which is a very American question to ask. Um, what are we doing and why? It's just a mystery, that's what. How to hear the voice of the Spirit, how to be led by the Holy Spirit, what spiritual prayer and worship are, fasting, spiritual authority and warfare, healings and miracles and dreams and prophecy, and we'll talk about some of the dark spiritual stuff, witchcraft and watchers and generational sin, and we're going to spend a day on the Nephilim and UFOs and aliens even, I think, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. 
sex and alcohol and blood and music all have in common in worship. And human sacrifice, which is Jesus and abortion. We're going to spend a day on that. If you are uncomfortable with those things, I have good news. You are exactly who I want to talk to. You claim to believe in God and the Bible, which contains everything I just mentioned except UFOs. (laughs) Although some people want to say that that's what Ezekiel was seeing in one of his visions. I don't buy that. But you claim to believe in God and the Bible, which is all about spiritual interaction between heaven and earth and the God man and and angels and dreams and miracles and healings. But then you're skeptical of prophecy and you're skeptical of healings and miracles and you think demons must have been mental illness and you think witchcraft is just for superstitious people and you're scared to be baptized in the holy spirit and fall on the floor and speak in tongues yeah a whole bunch of you are scared Uh uh-huh yeah could it be that you are unspiritual you've removed the spiritual interaction and communion from your faith you are worshiping in truth but you've got to worship in spirit also Jesus said God requires both. You've made your, your Christianity very practical and matter of fact. I'm here to make it spiritual. If that bothers you or if you've been taught against all of that or scares you, I totally, 110%, I understand. I grew up in a church that, where I was brainwashed that it was, and I was indoctrinated that it was all a lie. It was emotion. It was fake. It was the devil. And I was never to have anything to do with that. And then I went to college and the church that Sarah and I met in and where we started our relationship and I went to that church and I went from a church that had piano and organ and you sat on the first three verses and stood on the fourth verse and you could predict the service every single Sunday. You knew who was, if, who's going to be the song leader, you even knew what songs we were going to sing. And, and then I, I ended up in a church in college with guitar and drums and people are raising their hands and clapping and we're in a metal barn building in the hills in Arkansas and I really was waiting for the rattlesnakes to come out and they and they didn't but but I I was very uncomfortable with raising my hands and and expressive worship and clapping but I, I just stood there but I could not not come back because the men, particularly to me, the men, the adult men were so attractive because they were so happy. It was real. And I'd never seen men smile or be happy about going to church as a kid. And, and they had real wisdom and real fellowship with each other. And I wanted to be a part of their group. And I wanted to have what they had. And and I, they told me, you know, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I just couldn't write it off, but I was so scared of it. And I'd been, I was so skeptical of all of that spiritual, supernatural stuff. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to fall on the floor. I don't want to speak in tongues. I don't want to be weird. You know, and I had seen some really stupid, flaky, weird people growing up in, in the, the really wild churches and what they had was real and I couldn't write it off. I could not excuse it. And so I began to ask Jesus for it. And the scripture I had to stand on was, if you ask me for a fish, I will not give you a snake. If you ask me for bread, I will not give you a stone. And so Jesus continually over and over for years, it took me to break through my indoctrination and my fears. 
uh, and my pride is really what it was. It took years to break through, but he was very gentle and reassuring. If you go after God and you honestly want what's real and godly, that's what you will find. If you want emotionalism and flakiness and stupidity, that's what you will find also. That's what you'll create. So you know some really weird people who claim to be spiritual. and They're always seeing things and experiencing things and you know they're off their rocker. Well, so do I. But the fact that they're stupid doesn't come from the fact that they're spiritual. You know stupid people that are unspiritual too. <laughs> Seriously, there are stupid unspiritual people and there are stupid spiritual people. The fact that they're spiritual does not, is not proof that they're off their rocker. It's just that they're weird. <laughs> so don't, don't miss out on what God has because you've seen somebody else who did. Hello? Right? I, as a high school kid, I visited the local Assembly of God church and I saw this woman run around and she's screaming and banging her tambourine. And and a month or two after I went there, God told her, I'm putting that in quotes, God told her to leave her husband and her six kids and marry this other man. And, And that was my proof that all the Pentecostals and Charismatics were freaks. And it was all fake and lie, and I want nothing to do with it. Okay, that's her. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is her own lack of integrity, her own sin, and she wants to make it all spiritual, but that's from hell. Yeah? The fact that you know somebody who's weird or flaky or is claiming to have interactions with angels and demons on a daily basis, which we know isn't true, don't let that cause you to miss out on what God has for you. If you ask for a fish, he won't give you a snake. Right? You've heard me use this example before if you've been around here, but this room is full of every radio broadcast in this valley. All of the radio stations are broadcasting their wavelengths through this room right here. You can't see it, but if you had the right tuner, you could pick it up. Right? It's here. Every cell phone call in the entire valley is in this room. Right? Because if somebody is on their cell phone in Imbler or Union right now, if we could snap our finger and just poof, they're Star Trekked right here to this room, their cell phone call would still work. Because the broadcast tower on the top of the mountains, they're broadcasting in every direction and your phone just picks it up. Right? This room is full of the glory of God. This room is full of the Holy Spirit. This room is full of angels. This room has a few demons in it. The fact that you are not picking up on that is proof that your tuner is turned off. Not that it isn't real. Your radio needs to be turned on. Okay, or charge the battery. Sure, maybe you forgot to plug in your battery this week. Yeah, you weren't in your Bible or whatever. Yeah, you could take, take that and play with it. Uh, it's all here, but you just got to have the right tuner to pick it up. In the same way a radio signal or a cell phone signal, which is really a radio, we understand that, but the angels in Isaiah 6 are shouting at each other, the earth is full of the glory of God. And we look around and we say, where would that be? Looks like a lot of problems and disaster and war and people I don't like. 
But the earth is full of the glory of God if you're looking with these eyes. And Jesus said this 23 times in the New Testament. He said, you have ears and eyes, but you're not using them. And he isn't talking about these eyes and these ears. Let's look at the scripture. Matthew eleven fifteen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's just finished with a parable. Almost all of the parables that he tells, he finishes with that line. He means, you just heard me, now hear me. Hello? Pick up on what I am saying. Perceive, not just hear, but perceive. Know what I'm saying. Matthew 13, 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew 13, 14 to 17. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Hearing you will hear, but you shall not understand. Seeing you will see, but not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes and they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. He was talking to the Pharisees and he says, you see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. These guys had the first five books of the Bible memorized. They worshiped God all day, every day. And when God is standing in front of them, they can't see him. He says, these eyes work, but these eyes don't. Matthew thirteen forty three: he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Mark 4, 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Mark 4.23, guess what it says? If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Mark 7.16, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Mark 8.17 and 18, do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Luke 8.8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke 14.35, guess what? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Revelation 2.7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Revelation 2.17, guess what? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Revelation 2.17, Revelation 2.29, Revelation 3.6, Revelation 3.13, Revelation 3.22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And in Revelation 13.9, just in case we didn't get it, Jesus says it one more time. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Turn on your radio, open your eyes, tune in to what God is doing and saying. Become a spiritual believer instead of a religious activity doer. It's good and right to come to church, it's good and right to be a good person and be moral, but the hallmark of a Christian is that the Spirit of God lives in us. But in all practical daily life, a lot of you are deists. You believe in God, but you don't have any connection with him. You just go on about your day. But in Acts 26, Paul is retelling the story of how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so he's quoting Jesus here. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. I send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus said to Paul, Jesus' one sentence encapsulation of what ministry is, what preaching is, what missions is. Jesus says, I send you to open their eyes. They have eyes, but they don't see. Turn them on. I'm here to turn you on this morning, to open your eyes. In 2 Kings 6, there's the story of Elisha and his servant. There's a, a Syrian king wants to kill Elisha because he's winning all the victories for Israel's army. 
And uh, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. They were there the whole time, but his servant's eyes had to be opened to see it. And he was afraid, and then he wasn't afraid. All of the eye healings, all of the blind people that Jesus healed in the Gospels are parables of your own spirit being turned on. Opened up. In fact, in John it says, And Jesus opened his eyes, and he saw Jesus standing in front of him. That's your salvation. Did you not? Most of you, some of you grew up in church and you don't even remember a time when you didn't believe. But those of you who came to believe, it's like that. Your eyes were shut, you were in the dark, all of a sudden, boom, now I see it. I get it. It's not imaginary. It isn't fake. It isn't pretend. It's real. I see it. And you don't mean you see it here, you see it here. It's just real. I know. This is not a game. It isn't religion. It isn't pretend. It's real. I see it. So I'm going to prophesy this morning and pray for you that your eyes will be opened and your ears will be opened. You're going to see and hear in the Spirit. And I don't mean that you're going to start seeing angels and demons with these eyes. That's not what I mean. I'm saying your spiritual senses are going to get turned on because you do have spiritual senses. You have five physical senses that your body possesses, but your spirit has senses too. And Hebrews Chapter 5, verse 14 says, Those who are mature have constantly practiced using their senses to discern both good and evil. And that doesn't mean your nose or your taste buds. It means the senses of your heart. You begin to pick up on what God is wanting you to do and not do. Go here, talk to that person, pray for this person, give that money, don't give that money there. Uh, you, You begin to pick up on the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it's like the wind, and a lot of times it is. It is the tiniest little breeze that goes through your senses. Like, oh, there's God. Oh, this little idea that will come. So I don't mean you're going to start seeing angels and demons. It's not going to be a horror movie. That you're going to start hearing the voice of the Lord in your own spirit more plainly. You're going to understand what the rest of us mean when we say, God told me this or told me that. The Bible is going to make more sense to you than ever before. If it isn't about Jesus in the Bible, then it ain't the Holy Spirit. All right? Let's just just get that straight. It has to be biblical. The Bible is going to be opened up to you in a way that it's going to make sense, where it didn't make sense before. You're going to begin perceiving yourself more truthfully. Your thoughts, your motivations, your fears, your idols, your desires, your identity, your salvation and your holiness, and your selfishness, and your ambitions. You're going to see temptation more clearly when it comes. You're going to see it for what it is. You're going to see other people more clearly with love and compassion, what they need and what motivates them and how you can serve and forgive and love. And maybe some of you will see something about you should not be in a relationship with someone because you were being deceived and led astray. Mostly it's going to increase your faith because you're going to be able to see what you couldn't see before. Amen? So some of you are skeptical or scared or resistant. 
to being a spiritual person, you think, well, these wild churches. I'm not talking anything about being wild. A spiritual person can be excitable and jump around and sing loud, or they can stand there and enjoy the music and be worshiping God with all their heart and not move at all. Uh, We're not looking for to produce anything. We're looking to be something, right? We're not looking for a an expression in worship that's wilder than other churches or anything. There may be some really wild, exciting Sundays, and there may be some some ones that are really calm and peaceful. There may be things that are scary about it. There may be things that are very everyday. Following God is always an adventure. I don't want to follow a God that I can predict or that I understand because that means he's smaller than my mind. I need a God that offends me and that makes me do things that I'm scared to do or don't want to do or don't understand. But these things aren't crazy. They really are real. The Bible is full of spiritual activity and spiritual interaction. And when Paul in Acts 26 was giving his testimony of the story of his interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he sees the light and he hears the voice, he's telling these two kings uh, this story and And as Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus spoke up with a loud voice. Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I am speaking true and rational words. I am not out of my mind. I am speaking true and rational words. Everything about God is true. Everything about God is rational. It may not make sense up front, but after you obey it, you will see it. David says in the Psalms, Psalm 119, I understand more than all my teachers because I obey better than they do. Obedience is learning, not reading a book is learning. So not everything about God makes sense up front, but after you take it in faith and you obey it, it makes perfect sense. It's completely rational, totally logical, completely true. I know you know some flaky people, but in Acts, the apostles were looking for men who had the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It isn't the Holy Spirit if it isn't wise, if it isn't loving, if it isn't humble. Sometimes, again, it's wild, and other times it's calm. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's orderly. Who knows why the Holy Spirit does what he does sometimes, but we're not looking to produce anything. We're just looking to be interactive with Jesus. And then whatever happens out of that. If we ask for a fish, he's not going to give us a snake. It's not anything to be scared of. It's not anything to resist. If it's God, we want it. If it's God, we want it. Right, we're going to go after it. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your words to open our eyes and open our ears. Lord, forgive us for getting dull of hearing. Lord, we need you to heal us. Our spirits are blind and deaf and we need your healing. We need you to open our eyes so that we can see you for who you are. We can see your kingdom. We can see the glory of the Lord filling the earth. Forgive us for looking at other things, all the problems of the world and the politics and the anger. And Lord, we turn to look on your glory and your kingdom. Lord, forgive us for listening to other voices. Turn on our ears in our heart to hear your voice. Forgive us for running around and doing a bunch of busyness, even when it's good things. 
We've missed the center meaning of it all. It's all about you. It's all our first love. So Lord, as individuals and as a church, we repent and we turn toward you. We ask you to open our eyes and open our ears that we can see you and hear you. Lord, for those here this morning who are not born again, I ask you to open eyes and ears that they would see you, that they would hear you, they would know this isn't pretend, it isn't imaginary, it isn't religion, it's real, that you're there. That they would know your voice, speaking in their heart, telling them exactly what they need to hear, Lord. Lord, for those of us who've walked with you for months or years or decades, Lord, forgive us for getting distracted, for leaving our first love. We turn back to you now. Maybe we'll do some of the same things as always but with you as the center. I speak to every ear and every eye in this room. Be open. See and hear. Perceive the Spirit of God. Where you have been deaf and dumb and blind, senses be turned on and open in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to be a spiritual people people who are led by you, people who walk in power, in holiness, in purity, in miracles, in power, and in truth. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth so that you are pleased, so that we are your sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We bless you, and I bless each person here in Jesus' name. Amen.